0: And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas sent to Tarsus for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year, and they met with the church and taught with a great many people, And so what we're doing here, once again, is we're shifting um, narratives, okay? So we have this overarching narrative of, in the book of Acts of the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the Acts of the Church, whatever you want to refer to it as. We see the, the gospel uh, going out to the ends of the earth, right? But within that, it's just like the TV series that we watch. We've got these these, these different characters with parallel um, narratives that they're running in, okay? And we've got characters like the church in Jerusalem. We've got characters like Peter that it'll focus on sometimes. Um, we've got characters like Philip and some of the stuff that we've seen Philip uh, go out and do. Uh, we've got now Saul, this guy who's called Paul. He's going to be a, a running narrative that goes on. Um, we've got um, uh, the dispersed here, too. We've got that church, which we first saw back in Acts chapter 8 when Stephen was murdered. We saw that hammer come down in Jerusalem and we saw the church scatter. We're coming back to them now. This is, this is who we're looking at here. Alright? And um, so we've got this running story that's going on. And this is basically the diaspora. The diaspora just... It means the dispersed Jews. So if you hear me say... Diaspora, that's all I mean by that, is it's the persecuted church that left Jerusalem. Um, We're going to get to see here the sovereignty of God through persecution. This is the sovereignty of God through persecution. We get to witness the plan of God at work as a result of the persecution. The pressure that the opposition put on the church This is the production that came out of that pressure that we talked about a couple months ago on the church, okay? And um, so we get to see what God does in Antioch as a result of this pressure that came down on the Jerusalem church. So let's talk about Antioch for a minute. Antioch's the third largest city in the the Greco-Roman world at the time, behind only Rome itself and Alexandria. It boasted some 500,000 people. Like, that's pretty big for a place back then. Half a million people. It carried the nickname the Queen of the East. It was cosmopolitan, very cosmopolitan, very commercial, uh, just meaning that it was a a place for all parts, all people of the world. Um, It was the capital of Syria and a base for the Roman military. It was located some 300 miles north of Jerusalem, geographically, and 30 miles east of the Mediterranean Sea, which is now southeast Turkey, to give you an idea of where this was. It was a major crossroads, having major highways that ran in and out of it from the north and south and east. It was extremely diverse ethnically, culturally, having large populations of Greeks, Romans, Syrians, Phoenicians, Jews, Arabs, Egyptians, Africans, Indians, Asians, like large numbers of just people from everywhere, which I think hints at what it was like religiously, you can imagine. Religiously, Antioch was an extremely idolatrous and pluralistic culture, meaning that the more gods, the merrier. You know what I mean? I mean, we, that's something we're familiar with today. We see this in, in cultures around us, but we, all, we also see it right here in our backyards. The more the merrier. It was often referred to as the abode of the gods, and while we may look down upon a place like this, because it would be so full of idolatry and so full of paganism and so full of like just ungodly worldviews, it would be easy to look down on a place like this and yet it's the perfect place for the church to go, isn't it? I mean, that fits the character, the heart of the church and the Gospel is that when we sit down and we say we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna spread our church somewhere, we don't pull out a map and look for the cleanest place with the nicest people who have it mostly together, the people who are closest to being Christians. Right, the spirit of the church and the spirit of Christ is to look at a map where you find the worst and say, "That's where I'm going." And so we see that here in Antioch that it was a um, this place was perfect for the church to come and to explode. Um, I've always been told, um, "Be a Berean." Have you ever heard that phrase, which is good. We should all be Bereans. Do you know what it means? Acts chapter 17, there's just this little blip of this church in a place called Berea that Paul goes into. He comes in, he preaches the gospel, right? He's unpacking the word of God, the scriptures to these guys, but not through scriptures. He's just unpacking the truth of the gospel. And instead of them just receiving and buying what he's selling them, they go to their scriptures to make sure that everything matches up, right? That it lines up. So, when they, someone says be a Berean, it means, like, be a Bible student. Measure everything that you hear, everything that comes to you, by the Word of God. But I also think there's other examples, there's other churches that we should seek to emulate and be like as well. And the Church of Antioch is one of them. So, like, like be an it doesn't It doesn't have the ring. The same ring as Berean. But like, there's some things here um, that, that I think we should really take to heart as a church, as a collective people of God trying to make a difference to the glory of God in the world that we live in, and say, what were they doing, or what, more importantly, what was God doing through them? And then we seek to emulate that. How are we doing with these things? Okay? So this is what we're going to look at briefly today. Five Um, five things we're going to pull out of here. Like I said, there's more. Like, there's a lot more than five, but we're just going to deal with these for the sake of time. The first one is this. God builds His church through gospel conversion. God builds His church through gospel conversion. Some of you are like, well, duh. 19 through 21, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus. Um, and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. That, guys, just means Greeks. Okay? It can mean, it can mean uh, Greek-speaking Jews, but here in this context, it probably just means Greeks. Greek-speaking Greeks. Okay? People that, like we just saw in Peter, the gospel is for them as well, those people preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. What do we see the diaspora doing here? They are proclaiming Jesus to everybody that they can. It is the Gospel of God proclaimed that brings about conversion, and it is conversion that populates the church. It does not come through really good social marketing techniques. It does not come through killer worship teams. That will gather a crowd. That does not make a conversion. It does not come through bounce houses for the kids. We're not anti bounce house. Bounce houses are great. It does not come through a big personality up front. That's funny or loud. Or someone who just communicates well. It does not come through like smoke and mirrors, like gimmicks. And it doesn't come through excitement. That's one of the biggest things that I see in the local church here today, and some of the churches that are up-and-coming churches, is they're exciting churches. There's this culture of excitement above all else. And, And listen, I love excitement. I like getting excited. I think we should be excited about Jesus and what he's done. I think we should be excited about what he's doing with us and what he wants to do with us. But to build a church on excitement that's always running at 11 and saying, that's the attraction. That's why I like it. That doesn't, make, that doesn't equal conversions. Okay? Neither does professionalism in the church or polish. Conversion does not come through cycling people into your church from the one down the road. Salvation comes through the preaching of the gospel, and it is the gospel that we find in the scriptures, not the gospel of the day. The Bible is not a gospel that says, Come to Jesus and all your wildest dreams will come true. Vote for Pedro, you know? It's not a gospel that says, Do better, try harder, work faster. It's a gospel that says Jesus is Lord and He's conquered sin and death for you. Repent and believe. That's the gospel. If we want to build churches like they did in the book of Acts, we must start proclaiming the Lord Jesus to lost people and stop shuffling Christians around from one church to the next and calling it success. Do you see that in the book of Acts? even in this text, the church was being populated at an insane rate due to conversion, not transfer. It seems in large part that all we're doing anymore in the American church is playing the game of musical church. But the problem is that when the music stops, we still haven't reached the lost. We've just shuffled the board. And the church in Antioch shows us a group of people who are just stupid enough to walk into a dark place and preach Jesus is Lord and then find themselves buried with conversions. And the church was born. They did not separate from the bad people and they did not change the message. They went to the bad people with the message Jesus is Lord. I mean, I, I, I love this. I love seeing stuff like this. I love looking at this account because I believe that our tendency is to want to find a way, and I'm speaking of me even, is to want to find ways other than gospel uh, proclamation to see growth and success go on. But there isn't one. The gospel's it. In the year 1900, there were 28 churches for every 10,000 Americans. In 1950, there were 17 churches for every 10,000 Americans. In the year 2000, there were 12 churches for every 10,000 Americans. In the year 2011, the latest year available, there were 11 churches for every 10,000 Americans. Now, I, I know that there's probably multiple reasons for this, right? There's a lot of stuff that goes into this, but I cannot help but to think that the biggest contributor for this decline is a direct result of a postmodern church trying to rely on substitutes for for church success and church growth, rather than gospel proclamation. The problem is that other tactics have no lasting value; they are cheap substitutes. Do you remember, like? Um, do you remember, like, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, the first Indiana Jones? I think, I think it was Peyton Jones, actually, that was talking about this. And um, at the beginning of that movie, like, he goes into that temple uh, in the Amazon or wherever the heck it was, and he's trying to get that golden head, right? And it's, like, booby-trapped. Like, the whole, the whole place is just booby-trapped. And so he finally comes into, like, the throne room where this head's displayed up there. And he knows that that's booby-trapped, too, right? But he wants that head. So he like carefully makes his way up there and then he pulls out a bag of sand, right? He pulls out a substitute. He needs to substitute that head so that he doesn't like set off the trap. And so he like carefully like puts dirt in there and he, he does his thing, he switches them and what happens next? The stinking temple fell down. And when I look at Numbers like the ones I just read of the declines and stuff. It's not, look, don't get me wrong. The gates of hell ain't going to prevail over the church. Okay? This is Jesus' church. Jesus is going to make sure that He does everything with the church. But the truth is that He's used us. He's allowed us the privilege of being the means in which He grows His kingdom. And when I see a decline like that with churches per people, I can't help but to think, that the temple is crumbling because we're using substitutes. What if what if we actually believed our Bibles? What if we looked at an account like this and said, I want to do that? What's keeping you? What do you think might happen? I, th- I think sometimes we keep from doing radical things for the Lord because we, because we know it well. And we don't know what to do with that. (laughs) We don't know how to respond to that. We don't know how to live in that. Right? But the time is short and the field is ripe. And there is no one else coming. This is the church of God with the power of God and the gospel of God. Right? We don't have to convince anybody. We just have to be faithful with what God's given us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is Lord and people... Well, get saved because it's the power of God under salvation. Do we trust that? Do we believe that? Are we walking in that? Are we living in that? These guys were. And I dig what I see. We don't see Paul and Barnabas drive into Antioch in a rad car with a rad logo and a rad place that they're renting and a launch date. Right? We see the gospel come in and just mess the place up. Boom! There was no church, now there is. Why? Conversions happen through the gospel. All right, enough of that. I think you get the point. God uses the preaching of the gospel to build his church. Do we believe that? Number two, God builds his church through ordinary people. Ordinary people. Look at verses uh, 20 and 21 again. There were some of them men of Cyrene and, or Cyprus and Cyrene who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number of people got saved. A great number of people turned to the Lord. Who are these guys? Nobody knows. They're just dudes. They're just guys that came into town. Right? It's amazing to me how many characters and people there are in the Bible that we know nothing about. That, have, that God is directly used in his redemptive story and plan. You ever notice that? You ever read the genealogies of, like the beginning of Matthew or the genealogy at the beginning of Luke? You got the genealogies of the Messiah, the genealogies of Christ, and we all go through there and we go, ah, you know, Abraham, ah, David. We, put the, we, we gravitate towards those names we know. Something about even Rahab, boom, know who that chick is. Can't believe she's in that genealogy, but okay. Like I know who she is, right? But do you know who Perez was? You don't, neither do I. Yeah, he wasn't no, he wasn't a Spanish conquistador. Like this dude, there's a dude named Perez in the genealogy of the Messiah, and none of us know who he is because he's nowhere else to be found. He's a nobody to us. But he's not a nobody to God. He's insignificant to us. We look over his name, but he's not insignificant to God. There's another name in there, Shealtiel. We don't know who that is. Or Zadok. Do you know who Zadok is? Neither do I. But God thought they were something because they are links in the chain of the Messiah. Ordinary, used for extraordinary. this room, that's what I see right now. I see a bunch of nobodies to the world, but a bunch of somebodies to God. And we need to simply receive that and know that to be true. It is He who is in us that is the power that brings the thunder that changes the world. Not us, but He's in me, so I'm going. You and I can have this mind and this heart and this spirit about us. These guys didn't. They're nobodies. But they were somebody to God. And they were world changers for it. Because of He who was in them. They they brought the Gospel into a godless place. And they began to win it for the glory of God. Do you know that you are an ambassador of the Most High? You are a representative of the Most High. You are a gospel carrier. What are you doing with that? Do you believe that? He's not given us a mindset of defeat and insignificance to the world around us. He has empowered us and He has sent us. It is us that He is pleased to use to change the world for His glory. It is us. Why? I don't know. And I know that we look at guys like Billy Graham and we go, no, it's him. That's a mistake. I praise God for the grace that he's given to Billy Graham in his life. Praise God for the way he moved through that man with the gospel. Okay? But that market is not reserved for Billy Graham's only. It, it's us too. It's the ordinary people. Right? Um, when we went down... Never mind, I'm not going there. Alright, let's move on. Um, God builds His church, this is number three. Number two, God builds His church through ordinary people. Number three, God builds His church through networking with other churches. Do you see that in this text? God builds His church through networking with other churches. Look at 22 and 23. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. This is pretty cool, right? The church of God networks for the kingdom. It does not compete for crowds. It unifies for the sake of the Gospel. It does not get jealous or bitter when the gospel explodes in a region that's not ours, in a zip code that's not ours, in a neighborhood that's not ours, in a building that's not ours. It rejoices. And it says, how can I help? How can I be a part of what God's doing? Not only did the Jerusalem church not say, I'm not digging these Gentiles coming to the Lord, right? But they sent one of their best guys to encourage that church. To affirm it, to build it up, to solidify it and see it through. If you ever come across a church that isolates, that thinks that they have the market on truth, that exalts itself and parades itself as the one true church, just run along. Because the spirit of the true church matches the spirit of God for his universal church. Self-righteous churches are as ungodly as false churches are. Churches that are about the gospel will rejoice and they will be willing to roll up their sleeves and toil with other gospel-centered churches. Brent mentioned it earlier. We met last week with the dude that has the biggest church in Lapine. Part of the reason is because where we're going to start having church services is pretty close to this guy. And it's going to look weird. And so me and Pastor Chad took this dude out to to breakfast. And we just said, this is what we're doing and this is why. I mean, there was nothing else we could do. And we assured him, we are here to see the gospel change lives. And his mouth dropped. And the reason his mouth dropped is because he couldn't believe that one church that has nothing to do with another church, is coming down to help another church like that. The dude was like, nobody does this. I said, I know. But we see it in the Bible all the time. Right? We see groups that are for the Gospel, for other groups with the Gospel. And I assured him, I said, look man, this is going to maybe look funny to you, maybe it's going to look, look funny to some other people. Because of what church has become like, Right? It just seems like sometimes when you go through town, you see a new sign on a new street corner and a new church has throwing itself up. Like, where did they come from? What are they doing? You know what I mean? Like, it looks weird. We don't want to do that. We want to network and acknowledge God through the partnership, through the unity of all of His churches in that area. How can we do more damage together? And that was, that was the discussion with this guy was, look, man, I want to get to know you, and I want you to get to know me, and I want to figure out how we can be double dangerous, how we, can do, how we can come together and partner together for the sake of the gospel. I don't want to go head-to-head with you. I don't want your people. I want to see people saved, and so do you, so let's do it. That's just networking for the gospel. And there's other pastors that we're going to be meeting with in the coming weeks. We're going to tell them the same thing. How do we do more for the gospel together than apart? We see that here. It's so cool. The Jerusalem Church gets words of this, and they're like, they they literally like send one of their best dudes. Like, you need to get up there right now and make sure things are cool. Make sure they have what they need. Make sure they're they're learning the things they need to be learning. Make sure that they're encouraged because there's some hard stuff that's coming ahead. Like all that stuff. Like, take care of them. Let's take care of them. It's beautiful seeing this kind of part, this kind of partnership. Arms locked on the Gospel, not arms separated for self-gain. God builds His church, number three, um, through networking with other churches. Number four, God builds His church through reinforcements. Do you see that there? Look, it would have been easy for Barnabas to walk into this place and make a name for himself. Do you see that? How easy would it have been For Barnabas to come in and be the pastor of the people in Antioch. This flourishing church. It was all laid out in front of him. All of it. It would have been so easy for him to become the man. But he didn't. And for that reason alone, he was a good man. Like the text says. The scripture tells us here he was a good man because he was filled with the Spirit. And full of faith. And because of what he did, not relying on himself, but sending Paul, that statement is true and it's confirmed. Bartimaeus was a good man. Celebrity Christianity is a cancer in the church today. There's, by my estimation, more guys bent on making a name for themselves more today in the church than ever before. Do not fall for following the messenger. We know you guys love us. We know you're partial to your church. We're partial to you and we love you. Don't follow one of us. Barnabas keeps his place. He comes and he finds a flourishing work, a successful work, and instead of capitalizing on it, he calls for reinforcements. He even calls for a louder mouth than his. He calls for a bigger personality than his. Someone who in every way would overshadow him. Because he's more about the people than he is his own persona. He's a godly man. He's a good man. He's about the kingdom and not himself. A man that countless pastors today should seek to emulate. A man that I want to emulate. Because God builds His church through reinforcements. And Paul comes in and he helps. And he makes a difference. This is one of the things I love about Pastor Chad. And you guys will get to know him. Like this dude could have kept on going the way he was going. Doing what he was doing. Trying harder. Exhausting himself more. He could have thrown out a new rebrand. He could have thrown out a new logo. He could have painted the building. He could have done all these things on his own. But he's just humble enough to loosen up on what's not his and call for reinforcements. Because he believes that God builds His church through reinforcement. Not by one man shows. And for that, Chad's a good man. While we're here in verse 26, I want us to stop and consider something here for a moment on the backside of the verse. I know you see it. Like one of those sentences that just kind of jumps out, you know. It says, And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians kind of neat. If we look halfway close at the grammar here, we will notice that these guys didn't call themselves Christians. That's not where they got the name. But rather, it was the outsiders and the onlookers that gave them that name. That's cool. And yeah, most of it was probably mockery, you know, kind of making fun of them. But nonetheless, that's a rad name. Right? It simply means little Christs or Christ followers. And so I want you to hear this. We are not known as Christians because we say we are. We are known as Christians because we show we are. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about your salvation with God right now. I'm talking about what we see here. We are not known by others as Christians because we say we are. We're known by others as Christians because we show we are. The onlookers saw something to cause them to give them this label, and it was their witness to Christ. It was their testimony to Christ. It was their declaration to Jesus as Lord. It's unbelievable how many people identify as a Christian because they were baptized as a, as a child. Or because they, their parents were Christian. Or because their grandparents were Christian. Or because they did some time in Sunday school growing up as a kid. me did some time. Like that's what it felt like to me. Like once upon a time. Yeah, I'm acquainted with church. I'm a Christian. You know what I mean? There is no such thing as Christianity by association. By who you know. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as Christianity by association. There is only Christianity by appropriation. Have you applied Jesus to yourself? I don't care what your background is. Is He yours? And are you His? Do you believe it for yourself? Have you been born again because you believe it? Are you being transformed as a result of it? Is He changing the way you think? Is He transforming the way you look at the world around you? Is He transforming the way you live and what you do? Because if you have made Jesus yours, it will affect how you live and what you do and what you talk about. Not that we're called to be perfect. None of us are. Jesus didn't need to hang on the cross if that were possible. But that we are directional towards Him. No longer going away from Him. And it is in these things that outsiders will look at us and say, that's a Christian. Jesus in us does not make us perfect, but Jesus in us will come through us. Well, do people think you're a Christian because you identify with that or because you live that? These guys lived it. And because of that, they were known as Christians. Number five, finally. Last one. God builds His church through generosity. Generosity. This is 27-30. through It says, Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so. Sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. God builds His church through generosity. You could call this networking too. looks a little different. What I really want to do is talk about the sub-doctrine here, which is prophecy. Like the whole controversial thing, like are there prophets in the New Testament church? What does that look like if there are? We're not going to do that. I will spare you. Um, we'll just deal with that which is bigger, the point of greater interest, which is the heart of the church in Antioch. Again, what did they do? They heard this need was coming and they met it. They were ready to meet the needs of the needy. They heard of, a ch- of churches in other areas that were about to be in need and they made up the difference. They said, we will make up the difference. And they did. The blessings that God had given to them, they turned into blessing for others. Again, the beauty of a networking church. A church that cares and looks out for its family even if it's in other regions. We are um, we're on the eve of doing this thing in Pine. Like, we're going to do it. And I'm so excited that God has tapped us on the shoulder and said, you be the ones to go. It's an opportunity for us to look a little bit like the Antioch church, you know. Which I think is one of the coolest churches in the Bible. Bottom line is that there's a famine right now, and they need our help. And we're going to be as generous as we can because this is a weird thing, guys. That's why people don't do it. We're going to give our people, we're going to give our money, we're going to give our resources, we're going to give our time. Like we are going to give everything that we have to see something happen down there. That's not a boast, that's an honor. Like I, I don't know why more, more churches don't do that. And I, and I believe that we're going to see God's blessing pour out. Not only on this congregation for doing that, but on the place we're going to. God's going to be with us just like He was with them. That's why people were getting saved. They were preaching Jesus as Lord and it said that God was with them. And God's going to be us, with us when we go. And I can't, I can't wait. It's going to be one of the coolest things we can do. I, 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 know, I know it's weird and I know it's uncomfortable. I know it might even be a little bit despised by some of you because we're selfish. We like our families. No one wants to split up what they're comfortable with and what they enjoy. Right? Breaking up's not fun, moving around's not fun. But I've said this before we get all of eternity to spend together. Right now, we have a short window to run the race for the sake of the Gospel and the glory of God. So let's run it. Happy birthday. <laughs> Lord, thank You for um, how You build Your church and help us um, to be focused, to be narrow-minded, to be, to be, to be just zoomed in on what You show us of what success according to You looks like and how that's accomplished. We want to be Your hands and Your feet. But for that, we need Your power and we need Your mind and wisdom, God. So keep us humble as we step into things that are different and unknown. And please, God, make Your, your Son's name great in every step. Amen.